Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. That gum you like is going to come back into style. This is episode 209 of Dude and a Monkey. My name is Ian Loring, and as always, I am joined by... Matt Foster. Hello, everybody. This week, we're going to be talking about Guy Ritchie's King Arthur Legend of the Sword. It's going to be an interesting review, I think. However, relatively, I couldn't give a fuck. Twin Peaks. We're going to talk Twin Peaks. We're going to start Twin Peaks. As of this recording, season three is less than 12 hours away. Um, but we're going to talk Firewalk with me, and we'll probably have a general chat. Mark is a very, very, very long-time Twin Peaks fan. I finished season two this week. Yep. So it's going to be interesting, and, and you know, we're going to be doing uh, recap, like uh, like episode discussions and whatnot over the coming weeks, so uh, get get ready. Fuck, man, if you don't like Twin Peaks... The internet is going to be insufferable for the next little while. Yeah, it, it is. But it's one of those things where I, I'm now at the point where, whereby um, it, I, I'm getting quite fucking zen with it. But I'm actually getting quite, I'm almost getting kind of um, like, like, like an anarchy side to my zenness. Where I actually feel like when people are being generally shitty about things. I'm actually feeling like kind of now just sort of like calling them on it. Like, um, it, it, I, the fact that you see more people being snippy and negative about movies nowadays than you do being positive about them. Yeah, true. But saying, I'll just, 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 just fucking cheer up. You know, if, you, if somebody watches a movie and says they really like it, do you really need to then rebuttal with, yeah, but it's not very really good to this bit and this bit? Just, just accept the fact that some people like it. You know, and if somebody says, for instance, oh, they think, what is that? Um, this isn't a criticism. This isn't a, this isn't a criticism as such. It's more a, I noticed when you put out saying that uh, you thought Twin Peaks was, in your view, the best TV series of all time. Yeah. Right. Why immediately do people jump on that and say, oh, no, what about blah? They say, well, clearly that person's just said that they think that's the best TV show of all time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, a, a long, a, like, a very long-time friend said to me, like, when I tweeted that, what about the Sopranos of Boardwalk Empire? And it's like, okay, fair play, I haven't seen them. I don't watch yeah. a lot of TV. For me, Look, that, Twin it, it, Peaks it, it, is the best TV show of all time. It is, yeah. And it, it is one of those things. It's not a, a complaint about that, but it's a, a, a criticism of, of that as such. It's just... It, it does seem like people are angry that other people have different opinions to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll, I, I think this will probably rear its head with King Arthur, to be fair. Um, so, um, okay, uh, what's been... What well, Cannes been going on this week, but it seems like not much has really come out of that. Um, well, actually, like, the reports of people booing the Netflix logo um, was, was yeah. something. And then that, that basically provoked a lot of people to basically say Netflix is fucking great and a lot of like filmmakers saying Netflix is great which I think is really That's... interesting well it is it, it's it, it, it just reverts back to I think we were talking either last week I think a couple of weeks ago about um, the whole cans thing um, and I, I'll be honest I've heard I, I've read two not articles I've read two types of articles or two um, subjects uh, so far about cans, right? I, I, and I will be hand on heart. I haven't had that much time to read stuff at all, so I, I've very much dipped in. 
I genuinely wouldn't be able to tell you a single movie that's played at Cannes so far. No, I mean it's no to, to, to be to be fair. I think it's pretty like I, I think I said this a while back actually, maybe a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about it. I it's really out of my wheelhouse now. Like my yes. the time of my life dedicated to film is is going down, and that's not anything about the, the like about the future of the podcast or anything like that i will still watch more than enough films to fucking do a film podcast but it's going down and it's can type films which you know a lot of people would say are the films you should be seeing are the films that i would probably miss out on michelle has an vicious doing a biopic about john luke goddard nope um no no um then again the new Michael Haneke with Isabel Huppert? Hell yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. That, that's it. Um, and and the, I, I'm, I'm the same as that. I, you know, I still have as much time now to watch films as I did three, four years ago. You're in a different position because you've got a, a three-year-old, which is a very much, there's a lot more interaction that goes into having a three-year-old than having an almost 13-year-old. Um, Facebook's still saying there's, there's I should certain... add her, by the way. Facebook's still saying, saying I should add her. <laughs> Uh, so there's there's that going on there, but the, the two articles I've read were the uh, the Netflix ones, Netflix net, Netflix ones, um, in which sense it is. I remember Cannes, well, I don't remember it, but I remember reading about Cannes having a similar problem when um, the home video came about, and they bitched and moaned about that. Cannes, Cannes is, a, is a festival of people. It's become very much a festival where it's reveling nowadays in its ability to complain and moan about things. And the other article I've read, it, or things I've read about it, um, or seen about, I haven't even really read about it, is, oh my God, look at the dresses that not even actresses, just models mm. have been wearing. And it's just that, there, that is the key point. It is, that's what Kansas has become about. It's become about that about what it can stir up to make it seem like it is so, so for the cinema of it all, whilst also at the same time garnering attention by having supermodels wearing outlandish dresses. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds it sounds like a nightmare, to be fair. Um, it, it's... And it, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, like, to the defence of Mark Kermode, I mean, he's a guy who outwardly says how much he hates can. Yeah, he, and, he despises it, doesn't he? Yeah, and, and like for the whole stuff around it. And that is because he is a, a guy who is there for the films. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of people there who put up with Cannes for the films. But I think there's maybe an increasing number of people who go there because it's Cannes. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I, it's... Well, when I, I, I read something about it that said um, there are more fashion bloggers there from newspapers than there are than there are film critics well yeah i mean the fuck man that's a whole bloody conversation about the state of film criticism in print media right there to be fair um yeah but, yeah and, and and when i thought do you know what that doesn't even surprise me actually it does make sense but hey, you know, um, um, the new Bong Joon-ho and the new Bound Back have had good reviews and they're both coming to Netflix. Exactly. Um, and fuck, so, War Machine, Netflix, Friday. Friday? Yeah. Wow. I'm pretty yeah, sure that's, that's this Friday. I seem to remember I thinking it's bank holiday weekend. I didn't think that was that quick. 
I'm pretty that's sure. Next, that's, that's, yeah, they're trying them, right? Yeah. 'Cause I've got the twenty sixth in my head and I think it would be the twenty sixth. Yeah, May the twenty sixth, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, I think that might be a review next week then. But um yeah. Um, um and the other thing I think is not technically film related, but uh Chris Cornell dying was a, well, a, a horrible surprise. But he did he did write the in my eyes and people will disagree, I think it's the best Bond theme. It's it's the most underrated Bond theme. I, I, would yeah, say, it, it, I, I would definitely say that. Yeah, it, the, what I always realised is it is a really fucking good song for it a start is. off. Uh, and secondly, it, it's the perfect song to come back. Because um, let's be honest, Casino Royale was a Bond comeback film. It yeah. was a reboot almost. Yeah. It was a, we're bringing it into a new place. And, you know, that song, you know, for a start, he doesn't mention Casino Royale in it at all. I mean, yeah, it was the it's film just... After Die Another Day, which was, for many, the nadir of the Bond franchise. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, so you've got... Yeah, sorry, go, go on. You, you, I, I've just interrupted. Yeah, so you, you've got Cornell coming out, and he wasn't, you know... Nowadays, it is whoever's the big star at the moment. Um, so you had Adele. Yeah. And you had Sam Smith. You know, when the reality is, it's, it, it, I mean, you know, it, it, that's not something that's not, you know, it's, that's been pretty complex, but Chris Cornell wasn't a, wasn't a household name, let's say that. You know, a very well respected musical artist, um, and very sort of important to a lot of people, even, you know, 10 years ago when, um, Casino Royale came out. Um, but wasn't a household name like an Adele or a Sam Smith or a Madonna, um, or people like that. Um, so, and I think that's why a lot of people criticised it. But it's a fucking great song, and it's a, it opens the front music, you know, the film fantastically. And you know, fifty-two years old, um, it just shows that you know, no matter what happens, you know, mental health problems don't just affect people. They still affect people, no matter how much money you've got. It, it's you know, it's a horrible place to be in. Um, fucking Eddie Vedder's like the only one left, isn't he? I was saying this to Bex the other day, saying you know, out of the out of the you know the grunge sort of scene, the grunge movement, you, you know the, the big the big hitters, you know the big lead singers, you know there's Scott Wayland gone, uh, Kurt Cobain gone, Chris Cornell gone, you know the one that you've got left is 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 better, you know, and it's it's such a strange, such a strange sort of thing that 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 whole scene, you know, lost people to either you know mental problems or drug problems um, and yeah. it's weird because with Chris Cornell you, you know I, I thought Chris Cornell treated his uh, his Facebook fan page um, like his Facebook page so oh, yeah. oh. He, he used to just put out like photos of him um, like going to see his kids baseball games or going to pick his kid up from um, parties and things like that and he'd like he'd like take photos of himself in his car waiting for his kid around the corner to pick her up for a party because she didn't want to be seen. You know what is it? <laughs> you know I remember him putting out a Facebook That's post, uh, taking a photo of himself. It was, it was only about six months ago, um, saying um, no matter how many times you've been up to the MTV Awards uh, or the Grammys, no matter who your celebrity mates are. Your seventeen-year-old daughter will still make you wait around the corner <laughs> to pick nice. her up from parties, and you just and then you know 
it's it's just a crying shame. It, it is one of those things where I know a lot of people always come out and say it, but it's not that easy when you've got you know mental problems to, to reach out to people. But there are organisations out there that are confidential. Um, you reach out to them. You know, it's don't don't go down that that horrible path. Yeah, straight up. I thankfully have been blessed to never have any of that kind of stuff. I live a pretty fucking charmed life, I think. But it's so I can't pretend to put myself in that kind of position, you know. And it's like how hard that must be for someone that you know, like they feel they can't talk to someone. Mm. And you know, with people saying like, I mean, like like you were kind of inferring there, like because there were a lot of people tweeting saying like, you know. You know, if you're if you're having issues, don't keep it silent. Like on Twitter and whatnot, it's like people can say that, but it's almost. It, I, I I appreciate the intent, but it's almost like yeah. shouting into the void, isn't it? Because it, it, uh, it, is a, it is a little bit because um, you know some people, and it's fantastic when when you find people um, that are very comfortable talking about their. Um, that you know mental problems etc um, but there are some people who quite simply don't want to talk about it um and don't not just not that they don't want to acknowledge it but they don't want it to be broadcasted um to people and so to be put out there that's not how the way that they uh that their process for dealing with it is and it's it's finding that balance not neither way is right and neither way is wrong it, it, it's how it works for that person somebody who is seeking all the help in the world you know they're probably them them less likely to go to too dark a place because they are seeking help but it's still a complete tightrope with the whole thing it's it's something that that really um and in, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't like to hazard a guess how it's dealt with in America uh, or the rest of the world. But I know in the, in the UK it is something where um, in a an already struggling NHS system that has already been squeezed um, for everything it can to get out of it to make it seem like it's failing, so it can be sold off to already incredibly rich people um, under the guise of saving it. Um, you know, mental health problems are something that it, it, it's it's easy. Because you can't take a picture of it, and you can't show it, and you can't do an X-ray yeah, you can't to do it. Like I mean, a MRI or you can't yeah. with, with some, you know, people who suffer depression. You you can't. People who um, suffer from bipolar, mild depression, or however it's classified um, to that person, you can't. You can take an MRI scan, but you have to pay for that MRI scan, and they're expensive mm. because they won't do it on the NHS anymore. So you can't be diagnosed clinically diagnosed with it unless you pay for it and you give it to them and then they will claim that because you paid for it and you gave it to them that then you clearly can afford to to manage manage it yourself so come on corbin make up that ground make up that so, fucking ground yeah i know we say we don't get political which is why i was attempting to not no, I fuck, fuck it as a, what is it? But um, it's it's something that I think that people have to consider, um, you know, in the next couple of weeks in the UK, especially. Um, I just, I, I, it just, if if the whole exercise that Theresa May is putting the country through at the moment results in the Tories basically having a like a net zero or or minus result in any way I would be more than happy with that just for the, the fact that she was so fucking arrogant 
to launch that general election just because the opinion polls were so far ahead. And then when focus is actually on the Tory manifesto, it starts going to shit. They're going to win. They are going to win. But it, I like if it's not the landslide that everyone fucking thought it was going to be a month ago, cool. It is, and, and obviously the more the, the less the less margin they take, the less power they have, that, and the less misery they can inflict upon this country for another five years. If, if Labour and the SNP and the Lib Dems and a few Tory rebels are enough to stop so like some things awesome yeah. because that's not what her fucking plan was going in yeah and, and anybody over the age of, of 50 um, and I doubt that we have many people over the age of 50 listening to this podcast and if we do I would think that they'll be more than likely will be of a political leaning swaying more towards in line with ourselves based on the fact that they listen to us week in week out which thank you very much um, but um, if you're over 50 you know don't don't vote just for what benefits you, you've got to vote for what benefits your children and your grandchildren. Straight up. And also, the inheritance tax stuff, speaking from a financial services point of view, the inheritance tax stuff is still... is is fucking mental. Um, just the, the whole, like, the, the social care, making people pay for it out, uh, it, you it, know, out of inheritance and whatnot. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's... It literally is like they've gone, like the Tory Manifesto said, what do you mean we just shit on the young people? We're shitting on everybody now. Yeah. And and people are going, oh, well, at least they're fair with their shitting on people. I I, I believe in this. This is strong and stable. Oh, they're even shitting on foxes. Yeah. And uh, and elephants. Oh, my God. I mean, God, yeah, the ivory trait. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I'm feeling a lot brighter about the election than I was a couple of weeks back. Like they're going to win, but it's going to be it's going to be a redundant, almost redundant exercise. I think by the end of it, and I find I find that hilarious. It is. It's going to be a victory where they're going to win, but they're going to look fucking stupid in doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, no. So anyway. Yeah, but yes, anyway, let's move on. He's you steering the ship. Oh, yeah, it is me steering the ship, for <laughs> sake, sorry. Okay, have we got any trailers? Um, uh, Battle of the Sexes. I watched that trailer. Oh, the, the um, the, 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 uh, the fucking um, Emma Stone. She just won an offer. Yeah, I tennis. Know her name. Yeah. How's yeah. that? Uh, I'll watch it. Looks all right. Looks like it could be fun. Uh, got a message that you know, it, it's a story that that makes sense telling at this time. Yep, sweet. That'll do. And then you know, I, I'm all for it. It's a fun story. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It could be quite, could be quite good. It's not something I'm going to watch out to see at the cinema, but I'll, I'll happily watch it when it lands on. Uh, I think Amazon Prime. Is it an Amazon movie? Or have Amazon got the distribution rights or something? I don't know. Reading. Um, Shit, I don't know. Uh, no, it's not oh. a searchlight. Is it? Oh, um, oh. Uh, and apparently Moonlight has actually landed on Amazon Prime today, is it? Fucking hell, has it? I read that somewhere. That that might be the US. Maybe below. the US. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Moonlight. Yeah, it's not yet, but it's landed. Yeah, that's landed on the Amazon Prime in the US today. 
So that can't be too far away from getting what is it? Thing is, it got a it got a theatrical release in the UK. So oh shit, Hello High Waters on Prime. Um, anyway, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think. I don't think I've watched it. Actually, I mean, I've, I've watched this trailer a few times now because it's my lot in life now, but um, I, I'm i going to see Captain Underpants because it's called Captain Underpants. Captain Underpants? Uh, Captain Underpants. Apparently it's a kid's book series or something. Um, but yeah, Lottie very much enjoys that trailer whenever we see it. Um, so yeah, that's going to be that's going to be interesting. Slight tangent as well. Um, Cineworld, Cardiff, screen 14, be a fucking ashamed of yourselves. Fucking ashamed of yourselves. Right. Went to see Lego Batman today in the Movies for Juniors thing. All right. Yeah. I only had to pay £2.50 for her. It was free for me because I got, well, I got my unlimited cards. Technically, it's not free, but you know what I mean. £2.50. Yeah, fine. You don't have to play it fucking letterboxed, do you? Like, not using the entire scope framing of the thing. Like, flat masking, playing in letterbox, oh. like they were just projecting a fucking DVD or something. What was that? They just put not, not, not put in the right... They just, like, basically... Spatia. Yeah, so basically, they, yeah, they didn't have it... Oh God, I'm a few years removed from from being a projectionist now, so it's kind of hard to remember this. Fuck me, I haven't been one for five years now. But so the masking was out like that. It always is now. Do you remember the days when cinemas, man, used to like expand the fucking screen when when there was a scope film? A lot of cinemas don't do yeah. that anymore. It's really fucking annoying. Yeah, it um, is annoying. So what? Yeah, they must have played it. Played it on the DCP using a flat program. So I don't think we were even seeing the full width of the frame. Because it was essentially just putting black, like, slight black borders on the top and bottom. But I know that film is scope. I know it is. So it's not like it was artificial masking. So I don't know what they're doing in that fucking screen. But, like, again, kind of going back to the can thing, for all the fucking talk of, like, Netflix just, like, destroying cinema and whatnot, Mm. at least they fucking play their shit in the right aspect ratio the vast majority of the bloody time. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, the apartment, for some reason, on, on Netflix or Amazon Prime doesn't play in the right ratio for most of the film, but... It, it, uh, I don't know why that, that came to mind, but it did. But, you know, I mean, Okja, the new Bong Joon-ho, you know for fucking sure they're playing that in the right aspect ratio. Oh, yeah. They've gotten, they've gotten a lot better. There used to be a bit of a problem with, with aspect ratios, uh, Netflix, but they have sorted that shit out because I think enough people complained. Yeah, even though I, I, I noticed um, somebody tweeting about they've added a skip opening credits thing, uh, which have is, they? yeah, apparently... Which is odd, unless it was just a piss take tweet that someone took seriously. Oh, is it skip opening credits for TV shows? No, no, that no, could be liter- quite useful. no. Literally, like it, it was for—I can't remember the film, but it was like film credits. Had a little thing on the bottom right saying skip credits. Oh, the end credits or the opening credits? No, the opening credits. That's weird. Yeah. It just seems like extra work for no fucking reason. Yeah, quite. Um, but no, I mean, like TV shows, it kind of makes sense. So, but anyway, uh, yeah. so uh, is that is that that? Yeah, that's it, mate. That's, that's, that's it. Okay, all right. So let's talk some King Arthur: Legend of the Sword. Uh, 
King Arthur useless subtitle because there's not going to be another one. Um, directed by Guy Ritchie, uh, starring Charlie Hunnam, um, uh, Jude Law, um, Astrid. I'm not actually. I'm not going to pronounce her name, so it'll probably just be offensive. Um, as Mage, she's not given a name. She's Mage, um, which is which is interesting. Uh, who else is in it? I only saw it like three hours ago. Neil Maskell's in it. Yeah. Um, um, the guy from Game of Thrones, whose name a name escapes me, Aidan Gillen, I think. Yeah. Um, Jaimon Honsu, he's in it. He's definitely Indeed. in it, and and others. Am I missing anyone of note? David Beckham. David Beckham is in it. David Beckham's in it. Um, so, this sees Warner Brothers after about five or six years of trying to get a King Arthur film off the ground when they originally optioned the rights to Excalibur for Brian Singer to direct a remake, and now we have Guy Ritchie doing King Arthur: Legend of the Sword. The start of a proposed six-film universe where the key figures of the round table would all be introduced before culminating in a final film. Um, and you've got Charlie Hunnam as King Arthur. Oh, Eric Banana's in it as well. Um, Eric Banana is in it, yeah. Yeah, so um, Eric Banana um, is killed in the opening five minutes or so. Or so and of course he is. he sends his infant son downriver, where he gets brought up by prostitutes. And uh, ultimately is a bit of a scallywag, cares for the prostitutes, and also indulges in fighting sessions in some sort of weird, almost martial arts academy in the middle of London, uh, which is operated by Kung Fu George, um, which I can't believe they actually did. Um, Jude Law is his uncle who uh, had um, Eric Banana killed and is now king. He's not yeah. a very nice king. No. And the sword in the stone appears. Yeah. yeah. And then King Arthur put... Well, Arthur at this time, he's not king till the end of the film, spoiler alert, pulls out the sword and then Jude Law talks to him yeah. instead of just killing him. And then Arthur leads a revolt against Jude Law. I yeah, this is a fucking fascinating film. Uh, Mark, what did you think? Well, what Guy Ritchie essentially has done <laughs> is he's made a Guy Ritchie movie mm. out of King Arthur, the story of King Arthur, and turned it into almost like a a London gangland, you know, gang of misfits drag together, take on the perceived corrupt establishment mm -hmm. um, by being more street smarts than them and using that to kind of get their own way. Yeah. But it's King Arthur. Yeah. And it, it, it's really fucking entertaining. <laughs> yeah. It's really fucking entertaining. I had an absolute fucking blast with it. It's so much fun. It's... Guy Ritchie can direct the fuck out of a movie. Yeah. He pulls out all the tricks, 
and they pretty much all land for me. Um, I think it's got some really interesting performances in it. There's some fun fucking visuals. There's some fun editing and some fun story bits whereby if you are going into the movie not wanting to be on board or in any way not wanting to like it or in any way looking looking down your nose a little bit at it, you will pick fucking holes in. But the same people will fucking lord those fucking moments in films like Ant-Man or Edgar Wright movies. I think that's fair. It's a fucking blast. It's a lot of fun. And that's what this movie should be. It's a fucking King Arthur movie. Why shouldn't it be fun? And the fact that he goes, oh, and remember guys, we're all spoilers all the time, but it's a King Arthur movie. What if the stone that he pulls it out with is essentially the petrified body of his dad? That was an awesome touch. I love that. Why fucking not? Yeah. Uh, what if what if he is just if he's used all the you know the magical sort of power that is within him to kind of be a bit of a rogue fucking badass? Why not? It, it, it's I had a lot of fun with it. I think it's I think it's great. And you know what? It's one of those where it won't do very well. It won't, because it's a hard sell. And when people complain about all box office movies being sequels or franchise movies or reboots or anything like that, the reason why is because people don't go and see fun-looking movies like King Arthur. Because you can't tell me that that fucking trailer didn't make you go, this looks like a lot of fucking fun. And if you go into it and you go and you sit down and you go, right, Give me a good time. I, I, I genuinely don't know how you could not have a good time with this movie. It, it's got a man in it who is called Goose Fat Bill. Goose Fat Bill. Kung Fu George. There's a main character called Wetstick. Don't know why he's called Wetstick. Yeah. Don't need to know. He's just called Wetstick. <laughs> um... There's a scene at the end of the movie where the knights of the round table are taking the piss out of the round table. That, that, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. there is, yeah. It has got King Arthur playing a guy who has, you know, Arthur, or Art, as they keep calling him, mm. magnificently, right, is a little bit of a dick, but really fucking charming with it. Yeah. Um, and... It's it's fun. The fact that there's a great, a fantastic scene where they rescue him from the king and then are taking him reshackled back up and everything they do to him, he's just taking the piss out of because he knows they're not going to kill him because they're taking him back and they've just rescued him. But there's a great bit where he won't stop talking so they put a bag on his head and he just responds by going, you know I can see out of this bag. Oh, there's just trees. trees. <laughs> just surrounded by trees and stuff. It's yeah, it's I, I had a blast. Go on, what did you think? Okay, so I, I am I am less high on it than you than you are. I I, I yeah. think I, but I think that you know, I think that's fair to say. Um however, 
I had a very good time with it. Um, the thing is, I mean, like the the the, the, the production budget was one hundred and seventy five million dollars, even though this apparently includes development costs for like what Warner's have been trying to do previously with with yeah. this which you know obviously won't be a huge chunk of the budget but they have been trying to do do this for fucking years now uh, apparently apparently that um it some i read somewhere that said that 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 actually is maybe as much as 30 million yeah i mean i i was actually thinking i could see this film maybe costing 150 million mm. you know um so yeah um, the thing is, it feels like it shouldn't have been made. Sky Ritchie yeah. directing a period fantasy film, essentially, yeah. starring the guy who has had most success in Sons of Anarchy, a TV series that finished yeah. like a couple years back. A couple of years ago, yeah. Um, and has... I think... Playing a very similar character, I might add. Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. It, 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 it's, 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 there's, if you're a Sons of Anarchy fan, you will see a lot of, you will see a lot of Jack Tellerisms within this. The charming, um, soon to be king, who isn't afraid of anything and treats a lot of things like a joke because the thing that he's least bothered about is himself. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, fair enough. And it's, I everything about this film feels like an island of misfit toys to me. Mm. Um, it's a, just a bunch of disparate elements coming together, and you know, like I don't know, even like the costuming. Like Jude Law is not dressed how a king in that period should be dressed. He looks not a million miles away from what a 40-something gangster in a Guy Ritchie film would be dressed like. There's a great moment in it where he's almost sat, like Tony Montana is sat at the end of Scarface on his throne, where he's sat towards the side, kind of slumped down. Yeah. (laughs) It's... It's... I mean, God, because even the fantasy elements, like the squid beast... Yeah. Which is like an obese woman who's breastfeeding two hot squid girls. Yeah. It's full of stuff that just shouldn't work. And the thing is, it. I saw on Twitter um, earlier this week that people were decrying something because that's what people do on Twitter. But it was something to do with the fact that, like, films in like the 80s like big blockbuster films in the 80s had a bunch of shit which didn't feel like it was designed for four quadrant audiences and Mm. yet it worked and it sticks in the mind this feels like it's got elements of a fantasy film from the 80s being made now but then also very much a guy ritchie film um and I, I, I actually can't get my head around it. I wish I watched it yesterday because my thoughts haven't quite finished like percolating yet. Um, there, there's a fish in my particular percolator. In your percolator. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and it, it's 
I, yeah, I, 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 the thing is, I enjoy, I very much enjoyed my time with it. I think, it, you know, it's a better film than, say, Alien Covenant, because I kind of feel similarly, like, that film is fucking messy, but I still enjoyed it. But I don't have nearly as much negative to say about it. What would I say negatively? I think it maybe goes on a little bit too long. Um, and there are, there are certain, I mean, just Kung Fu George, man. I mean, it, it just, it, it feels really weird that you've got that area there. Like, the fight in there, it almost felt like the Raid 2. Like, the fucking prison fight sequence yeah. in that. And it's but like, again, where the it, fuck it, is that coming from? Again, it, it, it's a good scene where it's a good scene. that. Yeah, you, you've got you've got Arthur say, saying to him, "Go down the hall," and they're all going, oh, "I can't." He's going, "Go down the hall." Oh, I'm, I'm scared of heights. I don't like the dark. It and just... he's like, going, "You set of bastards!" And all he's trying to do is save everyone's life, and they're not willing to do it. And it is, you can. He's almost like a step. Like the next step he's thinking about taking is going. You do realize I'm king. Like, <laughs> oh no, no, absolutely, yeah. No, I, I, it just. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm glad because we got it. I don't know how this film gets made in this day and age and gets released in May. You know, because it was delayed. I think. It was, I think it's been delayed a couple of times. And I've got to think if you put this out in like September, and it's like the only big action film that is out in September, you will do better. Sandwiched between in the UK. Alien Covenant and fucking Pirates. Yeah. It's almost like they're putting it out there to die. And Guy Ritchie has said that it's been delayed because they were looking for the best weekend for it. This was a fucking horrible weekend for it. It is a horrible weekend. It's a terrible weekend to put it out. Um, You you know, it does feel a little bit like sometimes studios do look at a movie and go, do we, you know, we'll risk it. We'll risk it. And that's what it feels like that they've done with King Arthur is, look, we don't, they, they already thought this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna be an $800 million movie. It has a chance of being a $400 million movie. But does it have as good as just been a $400 million movie this weekend as it does the third weekend in September? Fuck it, let's give it a go. Yeah, yeah. If I... not, we'll, we'll, we'll just, it, it means we don't have to make another. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it just, it feels like for all the effort they made and whatnot, and, like, if this was supposed to be part of a shared universe kind of thing, I can't imagine Guy Ritchie wanting to stick around to, like, really develop that, and yet no. it's so idiosyncratically a Guy Ritchie film. Absolutely. Do you know what I'd love? I, I'd love when Aladdin makes a billion dollars, right, and everyone goes on how amazing it is and how Guy Ritchie's so underappreciated as a director. When they sit down and go, right, Guy, uh, you deliver a, a billion-dollar movie. Will you, do, uh, will, will you do Aladdin 2? And he goes, yep, I'll do Aladdin 2. Absolutely. All right, however. And he goes, what? And he goes, I want to make The Man From Arthur's Uncle. I want to make a melding movie. I want to take The Man From Uncle sequel and The King Arthur sequel and I want to meld them together. And I want to set it in the 70s in America. Oh, fuck. I don't want it to be a black exploitation movie. Oh, shit, man. I'd fucking kickstart the shit out of man. And the thing is, but, because yeah. it, it is, it, it's, I've, I've gotten so, just, 
there's, there's visually there's so much going on with this movie that the great scene of where he's talking to the uh, the black leg uh, oh towards the start the boys. this was the start of the movie yeah, yeah. and they're, they're telling the story and it's just flashing off and happening the, the, the editing the script the performances it's just it's it's at that point I was like I was already going I'm enjoying this but at that moment if, if it lands for you there you're fine for the rest of the movie. If you lose it there, you might as well get up and walk out. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, even though there was there was one conversation where um, it's where Neil Maskell and company have kind of just been introduced, and they that they're, they're talking about their plan there to kind of like disrupt shit for uh, Jude yeah. Law, and then they're also cutting between that and um, him talking to some other guys, and he's like. First, they're going to take the piss out of us, and then you're going to have a go yep. at me for blah, blah, blah. And then it cuts to him and Jaimon Honsu having this what looks like the same conversation, but after the thing has taken place, as well as before the thing has taken place. Yeah. And it, it just, like, that made me... That reminded me of Jonah Hex, where at the end, uh, Brolin and Malkovich were having the fight in what looks genuinely like two different planes of existence. And it was, it was because it was shot twice. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. No, I, yeah, exactly. But like, it's like that, that, that fucking Jonah Hex. But yeah, I, it, it kind of reminded me of that. And I suppose that's not in a good way. Like sometimes, like... I get what he's going for stylistically because the thing with the, the black leg earlier on is great. That later one, yeah, it may be not so much. But I mean, like the um, the, like the sequence after the opening credits where Arthur is growing up, it's great. Oh, it's very strong that. You know, I mean, that is that is fantastic. Um, also, the score for this movie, Daniel Pemberton's brilliant. The he's brilliant. He is great. It's it's so it it, it feels so. Part of the um, part of the film, and like it's perfect for the film, whilst also at the same time feeling like it's kind of going. Do you know what? Fuck it. We're gonna make. We're not gonna go for the old school stylings of, of, of this, but we are going. Uh, but we're gonna fucking jazz it up a little bit. He's got the like the handheld kind of like with hand pipe kind of like thing yeah. going on that, he, that a lot of Guy Ritchie films have as well because The Man From U.N.C.L.E. had a good bit of that as well yeah, it did as well, yeah. but it, it still feels generally appropriate um, yeah I it's I yeah I, I, I like it I mean Charlie Hunnam as well man like he's I think he's a good lead and I'm I'm very very glad that they didn't I, there were earlier cuts apparently where him and the mage had a bit more of a thing going on. I'm glad that they didn't really do that here. I, the, the, the thing about this film is that it does feel like it's gone through a number of different cuts. Yeah. Like it, I, I, it, I, I, I've been. The, the thing is, I, I get the feeling that, that that Guy Ritchie nowadays is in the place of where he won't give up final cut. No, no, I agree with he that. He just won't move out. He just won't make it, if not. I think he, he's probably listened to a lot of notes saying, this has got to be around the two-hour mark. Yeah. You know, and he's delivered two hours before credits. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like two hours, six minutes overall, which I think is probably acceptable for a summer, summer film in this day and age. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, you've got um, Neil Maskell's character and his his kid Blue, um, you know, and their their whole thing, and it kind of feels like 
did that really yes Neil Maskell died but did it really actually add anything to the plot there was already enough of a reason to hate Jude Law's character anyway and but then again Jude Law's daughter it felt like there was more maybe more to her yeah because like at, when he stabs her and he's like he's like I love you and it kind of feels like okay we've literally seen her in like maybe one scene previous to this yeah, I, 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 and and was it even confirmed in that scene that that was his daughter? Well, yeah, because the, like the thing only worked if it was the blood of a loved one. No, no, that that that, that, that was his daughter. But the, the scene that she's in earlier, I I, I, I don't. I, I, when oh. she was Amber thought he's got to kill a kid. Does he have a kid? Oh, was that girl earlier in the film? His kid. Well, yeah, because I mean, like he walks out with um like her and his his wife there, doesn't he? And then yeah. he fucking kills his wife. Oh, all right, of course, yeah. I just, but it was, yeah. It, it's not that's not developed enough fear to actually give a shit about. Yeah, yeah, and it feels like there's probably stuff on the cutting room floor there. Yeah, and you know, like the mage as well. The fact that she is literally credited mage is fucking weird. Um, it's like I think Omar Jalili in the Scorpion King is is credited as sidekick. <laughs> like, I, I swear that's true. I might have to look that up now. Actually, I'll have to look that up actually now. Yeah. But yeah, no. I mean, so I mean th- that that is that is weird. Um, oh fuck! Sorry, sorry, listeners. We're we're gonna have to Google this. We're we're we're, we're googling Scott thinking right now. Is that in the Scorpion King? Yeah. Not listed on. He's not even listed on the credits on Wikipedia. Maybe it's not. Fuck. Maybe it's not him. I can't be him. He's in the Mummy. Who the fuck am I thinking of then? Right. I've got to look at the credits of the Scorpion King. I swear there is someone. He was credited as sidekick. Otherwise, this has been a horrible waste of time for all of you. What a harem, girls, but I'm not finding a nah, sidekick. Nah, alright then. I'm obviously talking out of my ass. There's one that says boy with dates. Yeah, no, there's not a sidekick. Uh, maybe Scorpion King 2. Alright, never mind. Um... We'll keep going. I mean, like, are we? I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much definitely not shit. I'll say that. I am, I am definitely not shit. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and that's what it should be. This movie should be fun. It should be. It's, you know, it's not quite a sword and sandals romp, but it is that kind of ilk of of movie, and it should be a little bit silly, and. It does a thing of having great big battles, but not not being too fucking earnest with them. Not trying to to reach for too much. And yeah, I, I had a great time with it. I think it, I think it, it's I'm really really looking forward to to rewatching it and you know sitting down and watching it all a couple of beers and I, I might again just entertain me. 4K for a tenner. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I'll 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 play it when it comes out on our video. This is really bothering me. <laughs> you're trying to work out who was credited as what is it? Sidekick. As sidekick. You're now Googling credited as sidekick. Yep. Also as well, 
if if I had the physique of Charlie Hunnan, I would never wear a shirt. Ever. That's fucking true. I would just walk around, and when people went, oh, do you put on a shirt? I'd go, fucking hide your erection and fuck off. Just, it's, it's, I was watching it going, oh, God, you bastard. And then in my brain, I'm thinking, I wonder how much effort it takes to get to look like that. Probably a lot. No, too much. A lot, yeah. And I'm, I'm a man who, who, who regrets having stairs. Therefore, you know, it seems like just a lot of effort. Uh, yes. Yes. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what our viewers thing was. Oh, yes, please that. do. Let's have a look. Let's have a little look. Um, oh, miserable bastards. Definitely not shit, 17%. Yeah. Uh, touching cloth, 42%, and shit, 41%. Yeah, well. Yeah, I, I, I could see why people could be like that about it. I'm just glad I enjoyed my time with it. Yeah. No, totally. I agree. Good man. Um, okay. Well, let's do this then. Uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Um, so, directed by David Lynch. Stars, Cheryl Lee. Lara Flynn Boyle's Mexican non-union equivalent. <laughs> Uh, Carl McLaughlin, Kiefer Sutherland, Chris Isaac, Ray Wise, Grace Zabriskie, David Bowie, others. And, uh, yeah, so this is the last seven days of Laura Palmer. Well, at least the last hour and a half or so are. Uh, the opening is essentially a bit of a prequel kind of mini film, uh, about the investigation into the uh, death of Teresa Banks, um, which, uh, Chris Isaac and Kiefer Sutherland head up. Um, and then uh, it, it, events turn to the last seven days of Laura Palmer, where uh, her fucking double life basically mentally destroys her before she's murdered by her father, which is joyful. Um, so, this is the start of our like Twin Peaks coverage, which is going to be ongoing like pretty much through the summer like uh yeah it's 18 episodes there's four available this week i think the last one is a double one as well so then you've still got 12 left so that's gonna it's gonna take us well into august like well maybe end of august end of august i think middle of september i think it finishes Oh, okay fair enough so we got a while of uh twin peaks goodness so as I said at the start of the show, I uh, finished season two literally this week um, and rewatched uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me. So I first watched Fire Walk with Me on DVD um, after having seen the first season and not the second season because there was. Like, the first season came out on DVD, and then it took fucking forever for the second it did season. Take about, it did take about four or five years for the second season to come out. Uh, and you couldn't actually, for a while, you couldn't actually buy the second season on its own. You had to buy it in the gold, gold collection. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which actually came out in um, the States um, about a year before it came out in the UK as well. Mm. Uh, because I remember we, we bought... Um, Myself and Beck when I introduced Beck at Twin Peaks, I bought the, the DVD, we watched it, and then because you couldn't get all the, the um, of season two, um, we bought 
all of the uh, the whole series, the whole set uh, in individual videos because that's how we could buy it uh, on eBay. Mm. So we watched all of season two on VHS essentially. And then the gold collection came out in the States and we bought that on region one. And then when it came out in the UK, we bought it on region two. And now we have this, the ultimate collection as well. So when when was the first time you watched, you watched Twin Peaks? The first time I watched Twin Peaks when it was first on, I used to watch it with my mum. Jesus. Um, yeah. Well, the, the thing is, at the time, it, it, you know, Twin Peaks is a PG. You know, it's there's there's no bad language in it. There's no overt scenes of a sexual nature uh, or graphic nudity or anything like that or height and violence. It, it, it very much on the front of it, you know. It falls into uh, watershed parameters or near watershed parameters, um, but it's um, and actually wasn't. I don't think it was first one. I think it was when season two came out and they reshowed season one, I believe, on uh, BBC Two uh, before season two came out. That was when I started watching it then. So you'll have been looking at like ninety one, ninety two uh, by the time it reached the UK. Um, so that's when I first watched it, and then I, I obviously came back to it again in um, 2000, I think it was, when um, it, it it came out on DVD, and that's that's when my proper kind of obsession started with that, you know, that DVD that had the, you know, the eight episode first season uh, there. Um, that's when the, the proper obsessions kind of kicked in. Wow. Um, so. First off, I just want to say that Chin Stroker versus Punter have put out a fucking insane, almost like mega mix of their Twin Peaks con- mm. uh, content because they've had interviews with, um, off the top of my head, at the very least, Michael J. Anderson, who plays the man from another place, and Mark Frost. Yes, indeed, yeah. Um, and they, there may well be others as well, but it, it's escaping me. But it's like five or six hours. And I think Mike's just put it all together into one podcast. Yeah, yeah I think it's, I think it's nearly seven hours actually. Fuck me. Um, the so it, it's, it, it, it's, it's really good. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've listened to pretty much all their Twin Peaks coverage over the years, and there's some really, really good stuff in there. Four hundred and twenty-one minutes. It's seven hours long. So yeah. um, good on Mike for fucking putting that out in one cast as well. Jesus Christ. Um, so uh, yeah. You know, there's there's an awful lot there. So, for those who listen to both shows, which I think there'll probably be a few of you um, out there, um, I suppose there might be a duplication of coverage to an extent um, um, going on. But we'll, uh, we'll we'll see what we can do. Obviously, we'll have our own thoughts. So, let's talk about Firewalk with me then. So, this film was quite the bomb when it first came out. Um, yes. You know, so for for background, and please correct me if I'm getting any of this wrong. So, um, season two of Twin Peaks comes out, and uh, David Lynch goes off to make Wild at Heart, um, like fairly early on in the run. Um, yeah. And the decision is made by the network that you're going to fucking tell people who killed Laura Palmer. Yeah, essentially, they, they, they fought hand um, with, with that um, and wanted it 
they felt that people wouldn't wouldn't continue watching as long a season uh, as that. That they needed some kind of resolution within this series, and they needed the um, at least the germination of a new story to to kind of to come out of the the, the show within season two. Yeah. So around, I think it's episode nine. Laura Palmer's killer is revealed. Yeah. Um, and from I think the main thrust of the the plot, like the main thread at that point, maybe starts picking up to Windermill. Yeah. Um, and then you know you've you've had Don Davis kind of in the background with the the like his kind of stuff as well, and the, you know all the other plot threads, and then because when is the White Lodge first referenced? It's one or two episodes after Ray Wise um, it, yes. it dies, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think it might even be the episode after. I think it might be the episode after as well, you know. Um, so then the, the White Lodge, Black Lodge is introduced. Windermill, I believe, had been like referenced previous. Hmm. Um, but um, he comes into it in a major way um, as as the second season goes on. Um, a lot... And and then the second season. So I mean, like, I know we're going to talk about Firewalk with me, but the second season, a lot of people had scared me off it basically, um, yeah. saying you know, oh, it get it got really shit. And the thing that I found with the second season is that I really, really, really enjoyed most of it. But if you are if you are purely bothered about the A thread, then I could see how like the midway through the second season would piss you off, like Eckhart being introduced. Um, and, uh, you know, J- James and the Blonde, which is the fucking worst bit of Twin Peaks, without a doubt for me. But then, you yeah. know, the, the parentage of Donna as well, which feels, I mean, that stuff feels like if they had a third season, that would have rumbled on, uh, but they had to curtail it. I don't know whether that's actually the case. But it feels weirdly pointless in the grand scheme of things. Um, but then, like Josie, be, Josie being stuck in the doorknob, um, I, I I was stunned that that did not really come back up. It was just like Sheriff Truman got over her death, and that was kind of it. Um, yeah. I mean, is there any background to that at all? Like that you you know of? Like like. No, it, it, it's it's something that never got kind of resolved, I suppose. Like, I... Because I, I understand the nature of, like, almost like souls being trapped in Twin Peaks, but being trapped in, uh, in a drawer knob in the Great Northern is, uh... is something else. Yeah. Um... But then, uh, yeah, I mean... Th- you know the the finale, the season finale of Twin Peaks, wraps up as much as it can, I suppose. So you know, there's the the confrontation with uh, Donna and uh, her uh, Doctor Hayward and uh, the mother and um, and Ben Benjamin Horn. Um, yeah, it's so weird that like the last the last scene of Benjamin Horn is him, like kind of like just being humiliated by. Donna and like no you're my real daddy you're my real daddy hmm. after all the, the, the kind of like the Benjamin Horn losing his marbles and the whole ghost wood kind of thing like 
the way that that never I mean again that maybe feels like that was going to be season three material um but but the way that the, the ghost woods thing never gets really properly resolved like what's actually going to happen to that um but season uh, season two does weirdly wrap up Sherilyn Fenn even though she's back even though it kind of seemed like she should have been blown up um, yeah, it'd be, be interesting to see how they how they kind of move through that. I mean, it, it, there's there's loads of ways I suppose they can they can get around it. But poor Pete, poor Pete. Yeah, um, he, I mean his character is probably done. So there you go. So and and, and Gat Nancy's dead. So <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, shit, they fucking Robert Forster's taking over Michael Onkin's role in it. I mean, yeah, yeah, I suppose there is that. Yeah, um, but yeah, so. Um, I, I just Pete Martel, man. He's just the fucking saddest character. It's really fucking depressing. Um, so there you go. So all this fucking long-winded introduction basically goes into Fire Walk with Me, which I originally just watched basically as a David Lynch film. Yeah. You know, like I had some background of Laura Palmer and whatnot from the first season of Twin Peaks, but um, like the, the 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 Red Room stuff just. I, I don't know, I just thought it was Lynch. Whereas, with the context of the end of season two, it now is, I, I, I don't know, it now makes the ending of Twin Peaks season two feel better because it's like, well, good Cooper's there somewhere, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Mark, like, fire walk with me, bud. Um, now... With with the literally season three Eve, what do you think of it in in the grand context of things? Well, I'm, I think that the thing is with 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 Firewall with me is if you view it purely as a Lynch film because of the way that Lynch films work in the sense of they're not they're not necessarily I'm talking about Lynch films not to be Firewall with me itself but as a whole of his, his body of work, they're not necessarily supposed to almost make sense. You're supposed to make the sense that you want to make, and that is what Lynch always says. You know, I, I've seen Q&As with him where, you know, he despises the question of what do you mean by that? His response to it is always the same. Well, what does it mean to you? And that's what he does. It's uh, Inland Empire, for instance, is a collection of just things that came into his mind, thrown together. Mm. It doesn't need to make sense. If you and people will write essays and drive themselves crazy about it and try and find a hidden meaning in it, and it there isn't. It's whatever hidden meaning you can find within it. Whereas, and if you view Twin Peaks by Walk with Me as a Lynch film and with no context of uh, the TV series, um, it works. It works like that. However, the more you watch the film itself and the more you watch the TV series and the more in of that world you become entrenched and the more you pick up from it um, and if you read the, um, the Dale Cooper tapes and the Laura Palmer diaries and things like that and the more of this universe and, and of the place Twin Peaks and everything the mythology behind it all that is official that is put out there as Officially, because there's a there's, there's a big difference between people's theories and people's books who have written what they feel everything means. But the actual proper stuff, uh, the more that you get kind of absorbed in that, the more you can pick out bits from Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, and the more that 
different levels not necessarily you understand it more or you get a better idea of it more or you appreciate it more but the more um the more things kind of start to slot into place there's still bits that don't quite make sense but that that's the beauty of all of this it's not supposed to make sense it's the there's an unfathomableness and another world in this two twin peaks that it's supposed to feel outside of normality and it's supposed to feel not quite there and, and you know off kilter and if you try and you know align it so everything all its fucking ducks are in a row then what's the point of twin peaks it's supposed to be you know sheriff truman says it about three or four episodes into the actual series itself twin peaks isn't like normal places you must have noticed that and it's why Cooper becomes you know adores twin peaks and why he's drawn to it and why he likes it because the air of mystery is there but there's the inherent goodness within it all and that's what he's drawn to you know he's you know what we mentioned it was like what's up you know and it, it's a theory that you know that i haven't fucking with it's, it's out there it's, it's it's what david lynch has done cooper is the ultimate boy scout yeah um you know there's there's no everything he does is for good and occasionally he'll do things that aren't perceived to be good but they're always with the best of intentions and they're always with the good intentions there's a lot more kind of nastiness and nihilism that all that the TV series doesn't have in it is thrown at this and it's not just because he can do because he can have a 15 slash 18 R-rated certificate it's kind of like it does seem like Lynch had a little bit of anger, um, you know, towards the way that Twin Peaks finished, and some of that is is shown here. It is kind of it is showing you that, but putting it through this and showing you that the the, the, the Twin Peaks TV series is the is the TV version of it, and this is the movie version where you can, oh, you know, you can be a little bit more. You can show. The, the nastiness within it and that makes sense and he's been he's sort of said that that's that although season three will not have as will not be as as um soft as the first two series it won't go they won't take advantage of the ability that they have now because it's on a cable uh, network there won't be rampant fucking nudity and swearing and violence. It'll, it all it can take a darker tone, but it doesn't. It's got to fit and feel part of the same world. And this, I, I can tell, I can see why people could think this feels outside of the world because there is that. Yeah. But, but what it is doing is is it it's it's fucking peeping behind the fucking red curtains and showing you what before you'd only heard about. Well, I mean, that's the thing, because, I mean, like, primarily it is the last seven days of Laura Palmer, and um, so with the revelations that that character has, it is going to be, it is going to be darker, Um, and, I mean, to be fair, you know, you watch the missing, the the missing pieces, and there there is lighter material in there, I mean, fuck, the scene where, like, Andy and, um, Lucy kind of like scare each other because like they don't know where anybody is. It's like what where like that that feels like the TV series that doesn't feel like this film. Yeah. Um, you know that that's the thing. They they feel like two very 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 separate entities. Um, even though they've got like the, the you know pr- primarily the same characters in them. Like even um, 
even Cooper, like he's not in it that much, but he, do, I don't know, he doesn't, he feels more serious, uh, seriously minded than he than he does in Twin Peaks. You couldn't imagine the Cooper in Fire Walk with me having a cup of coffee and saying that is a damn fine cup of coffee. Yeah, mm. it, it, it's um, he he almost he, I think with Cooper he almost assimilate. I mean, you've got because he's a year older as well. He's had a year longer. You know, his scenes in this film are set a year before. Yeah. Um, and so he he has a year of extra confidence in the FBI, and he almost he exudes that confidence, you know, and that. Jovality, he almost assimilates himself perfectly into Twin Peaks yeah. by coming in and being not being smart and everybody, but he can he can portray that always in charge and always cool and always knows things and going through that. But also as well, he's got a lighter side to him. I mean, the the great bit, one of my favourite bits in all of Twin Peaks. I know we're talking about this as a whole rather than just fire walk with me, but it just kind of feels like it makes more sense, yeah. I suppose, in a way to do that. There's a bit I think in I can't remember episode pilot or it's, it might even be in um, episode two where he he beeps Joe Truman's nose. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like that. It's and, and, and Jerry Truman doesn't say, what are you doing? He just laughs. <laughs> I, that's, I mean, oh God, their fucking relationship is fantastic. Um, that's, I don't know, that's one of the things that's going to be so interesting with the new fucking series. But, yeah, yeah I mean, I, 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 that's, I, I miss Cooper's presence here. And, you know, I... Not a lot of the other side characters are, are in this. Um... And I mean, even even Bobby seems like almost a darker version of himself than he is in the TV show. You know, I mean, like the 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 fact that he he kills the guy and he he seems very he seems very very hard. Um, and I I don't know. There's there's a sense I don't know. There's a sense that he's almost more grown up, but in the, in the wrong direction compared to what he is by season two in Twin uh, of Twin Peaks, than than he is than he is here. He he feels I I, I don't know. It th- there are disconnects here for me, and I mean Cheryl Lee, frankly, looks a bit older than she did in Twin Peaks. I think even though, even if it was the difference of a couple of years, I think it, it kind of means something. But, I, I, I mean, it the whole kind of, like, perfect school kid kind of aspect of her, I think is not as well played in Fire Walk With Me because of it. But then Moira Kelly, it kind of goes the other way, where it feels like they've gone way, way, way more innocent with with her like Lara Flynn Boyle was Donna I think she is an innocent but it I it, it feels like there's a bit of fire behind her eyes whereas you know the the scene in the club where like the the guy is kind of going down to town on her because she's been drugged it I don't know it doesn't feel like the same character to me and I I you know like I said at the start it kind of feels like Mexican non-union equivalent and it, it kind of it is what it is um but I don't know. Maybe it's just because I've, I've just finished season two of Twin Peaks. But 
I mean, the, the strange thing is there is, she, you know, Mike Kelly's actually, actually a couple of years older than Lara Flynn Boyle really? as well. Really? Yeah. That, you see, I, I, that doesn't play for me in the film at all. Um, yeah, she's actually a couple of years older than her. Okay, fair enough. It kind of feels like the actress... Well, she, does, she does look younger. There's no, there's no getting away from that. She does, she does have a look and an air of being a lot younger, a lot more innocent. Mm. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I agree with that. And I, I yeah. And I, I mean, I think Ray Wise is great. Um, mm. the, the fucking when she realizes it's him, and he says, "I always thought you knew it was me." Like that is a fucking horrific line mm. like that is so disturbing and it's the, it's the delivery of it as yeah. well yeah, yeah like he's he's like he's really upset yeah and uh, it, it's it is just really fucking harrowing and i I'd like the, the the whole the the end sequence where he but he, he, ta- he takes her, um um laura and Ronette and, and like in the train car and you know, the one-armed man outside it's 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 fucking horrible it, it's really it's proper horror yeah it really is proper horror and it's yeah there are supernatural elements to it but it's also just seeing a guy like like tie up these two girls and fucking murder one of them and wrap her in plastic mm. i mean it's oh my god um, now, I, I, what the, the first forty minutes or so, the Theresa Banks case. I mean, what do you get out of that as a like a, a long, long term Twin Peaks fan? I suppose it, it, it adds, it fleshes out the idea of um, of the killers um, more, and it, it broadens that idea, and it gives you an idea of um, when um, Dale Cooper first arrived in Twin Peaks, and he's like. I knew it. I, I, we've seen this before. Mm. It essentially tells that that story there. Um, I know that the, the, the idea originally was for um, the Chris Isaac character, um, Chester Desmond, was originally, you know, it was supposed to be Dale Cooper. Yeah. Um, but Carl McLaughlin had a sort of reservations about being in the, the, the film quite as much as he uh, as, as that mm. and so um, Chester Desmond was what is it and once Lynch found out that that, that was it he, he explored the idea of you know creating a different character and having a different rather than just having a generic one that's why I this was brought in he's brought in as somebody who is he, he, part of um, Gordon Cole's kind of inner circle and that's the idea is that you know that almost he's got somebody who does these weird cases <laughs> Sorry. And he's a guy who, who does the weird cases, and yeah. he has his own little team. Is the is, is that is the idea? Um, it it works in in a sense that it gives you that idea, and it it fleshes that out. But I think more it's that Lynch it, it Lynch sort of maybe starting with something and going, right, I've got an idea. That's could have started as a five minute scene, one scene, and then it's just. Actually, I quite like this in it, and I quite like this in it, and it, it's grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. I, I think it's a fascinating. It, it's the thing is, if you were to sort of talk about Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, it, it is almost like you've got your opening act, which you say is almost like a forty-minute movie within itself, 
then a middle act, and then you've got the, the finale. I think that the open acts and the finale are the two strongest bits, and it's the middle bit that's not quite as strong as those other two bits. Um, but you've got some within that, you've got some sort of classic um, Twin Peaks imagery of um, of Lil, you know, there. That's you know the, the idea. That this is a, a Blue Rose case and things like that. Yeah. It, you know, uh, and one of my favourite um, characters in the Twin Peaks universe is, is, is in this, and it's um, it's Carl. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton's character mm. uh, and Harry Dean Stanton's actually in the new series yes. of Twin Peaks it'd be interesting to see if he's playing a new character which of course he can do because it's Harry Dean Stanton or if if for some reason he's playing Kyle again <laughs> mm. yeah yeah, so yeah yeah that's there's that and I think I said to you guys you know the the character of Kyle the line it's just more shit I've got to do I, I, I think that I utter that line about stuff at least once a day yeah, um, it, it's become just such a part of the vernacular of my of my day. Um, so I, I get a lot of it. I think it, 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 it's a fascinating little world within the world, and it's it, it's it's the only part of it set outside of Twin Peaks. Yeah, um, I, well, I don't know. You've got James and the Bond. Yeah, but. Yeah, that's I don't know. That's it's it, 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 that's still it, it, it's a forty minute drive away from Twin Peaks. It's almost like did you know that Scarborough is a completely different place to York, but it still has a York postcard. It's like that. If, if I drove fast enough, I could be in a different country in forty minutes. Exactly. So it, 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 it's 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 that. Although it's not in Twin Peaks, I have to drive kind of fucking fast. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I, it's... I, I don't know. you're coming from a slightly different place than, 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 that, than me. Yeah, I mean, because that's why I think the next few months are going to be interesting. Um, because I am so fresh on so much of Twin Peaks. And I'm not going to have that rewatched it many and many a time and been so in for the last couple of decades, you know. I, I've said this on, on Facebook and Twitter, like, the fact that... I can't imagine how much a fucking weight this must have been. That, that's the strange thing is, I, I just assumed that it, it wasn't going to happen, and that we, we that, that was it. That was that was the ending we had, and that was the ending we were always going to get. Becky has been con- is the opposite. She's been convinced since we watched all um, of season two uh, for the first time. Uh, we, we actually watched season two, and then we watched it again straight afterwards. Um, and we watched it, I think we watched it like twice in a week, uh, once we got all of the VHSs together. Um, and so that'll have been, um, in 2002, 2003, maybe. So you're talking like 14 years ago. Um, she's been convinced since then that, you know, soon after the 25th anniversary, that's when we'll get back because there's a line to see you in 25 years. Yeah. And she's been absolutely convinced from then that we will, within a year or so of the 25th anniversary, uh, that's when we'll, it'll come back. And, you know, it, it's what has transgressed. Um, and, and, and I love the fact that we know nothing. And I'm, I'm completely avoiding all social media tomorrow. Um, because I don't want to accidentally go on something to find out anything. I, I want to go in completely blind. And I'm also, I'm not hazarding a guess at, oh, that'll be this or that'll be that. 
because there's no point because Lynch won't go where you expect him to go and if he does he'll do it in a way that you'd expect him to do it yeah no it's um, I, I mean Mike said something on uh, WhatsApp yesterday about hearing reports that the first two episodes are still very 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 funny but very odd and it's like yeah I'll, I'll go with that that's what I want mm. I I would I would like it if season 3 is more the TV series than Fire Walk With Me I'd agree with that um, I think watching 18 episodes of something as full on nihilistic as Fire Walk With Me would be too much Um it's, it, it, it would be. It's an incredibly, it's an incredibly harsh movie to watch. It's an uncomfortable movie to watch. It really is. Um, I mean, like afterwards, I played a game of DC comic characters beating each other up for half an hour just to take the edge off. You know, yeah. I needed that just to rebalance. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, but I, I like the fact that. Lynch basically dictated like how many episodes there would be. Mm. Um, it's him and Frost. He's directed all of them. You know, it, it just it it feels like he's got a fucking purpose here. It's going to be eighteen hours of Lynch. Well, not eighteen hours, but you know, you know what I mean. Like a good like thirteen, fourteen hours of Lynch, and that'll do. Yeah. Um, especially considering like the fact that he said. He's not going to make any uh, any more films. He's in his seventies. It does kind of feel like maybe, maybe, maybe this is it. Oh, this is definitely it. This is the last thing Lynch will, will make. So, the guy's seventy-one hasn't made a movie since two thousand and nine. Was it? I think. What Inland Empire? Fuck man, yeah. it was before then. Two thousand before then. I, I want to say two thousand seven. Oh, or two thousand six even. It was 2006, yeah. yeah. So he hasn't made a film since 2006. And he's only... You know, this is a man who's made a lot of movies. Let's be honest. You know, his first movie was 40 years ago with a razor head, and that took him eight years to make. Mm. So he actually started that, I think, in... Yeah, I think 69, I think he started making that. So if, if you're saying that he's had a career of nearly 50 years making movies, not releasing movies, but making movies... And he's only made what? A Razor Head, Elephant Man, Dune, Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, Twin Peaks, Lost Highway, Straight Drive, Mulholland Drive, and Inland Empire. That's 10. It's going to be five years. And when you consider he made Elephant Man, Dune, Blue Velvet, and Wild at Heart, those four in a 10 year period, <laughs> you know, he's only made four movies in the past 20 years. Yeah, it's. Um... I don't know, I mean, like, I'm sure he'll do some other creative product projects, and, I mean, fuck, man, who knows, maybe he's got ideas for a season four. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Remember, I, I, I'm, I'm cautious about Twin Peaks in the fact that I'm at a balance at the moment where I'm happy with the ending it's got at the moment. I've come to terms with that ending. What I really don't want is to for it to for me to not 
come to terms with the new stuff or it to feel like it's not the same. And, you know, it's crazy that because it's it's Lynch and I have ultimate faith in him. But there's still that, that worry, I suppose, that's always there. See, that's the thing. I mean, like, obviously, I watched the end of season two with the knowledge of season three coming up. But I I genuinely think if I didn't know there was going to be a season three and I had that ending, I would be ever so... I, I mean, I'd be slightly crushed. I mean, I am... I know the good Cooper is in the lodge, so he's not gone. But I don't like the idea of good Cooper not being out in the real world for 25 years. Hmm. Like, I I don't like what... Or, or at least, if there is a good Cooper there, one who has some bobbiness to him, um, that really, really... Like, that actually genuinely upsets me. Um, I mean, because, just because D- Dale Cooper is... Like, I, I wish I watched I watched Twin Peaks 20 years ago, because I think I would have lived my life in a, in a much friendlier way. I I, yeah. I I want to be. I think if everybody was a bit more Dale Cooper in their lives, the world would be a better place. Yeah, and, it, and that's it. Sounds strange to say that, but it, it, he is he is like that. He is that type of uh, of character in that he always there's no fluster about him. There's no bullshit about him. He's always in control of, of the environment that he can control. And then when he can't control an environment, he looks at ways that other people could help control that environment. Like the, the fact that um, when Andy drops his gun, he doesn't tell Andy off or say anything like that. He just says, oh, I think we need to get some, what is it? Some more training in you. Mm. You know, and although he, he's, you know, usually one step ahead of everybody else, he's confident with it without being arrogant with it. Yes. No, I mean that that's the thing. He he is someone who knows it knows what he's doing, projects that he knows what he's doing, but does not rub people's noses in it. Hmm. He's he's the best. He's the fucking best and it's fucking exciting. It's all very exciting. I'm pretty happy that, that you've had such a, a good time with oh, actually mate, watching season two. Amazing. Because I think when you when you hold something sort of this as dear as you do to Twin Peaks, it's always a little bit strange, you know. When people if people start talking to you about it, you're always like, yeah, it's you know, it's fantastic. And even when people do like it, you kind of go in, right? I, I know you like it. I know you like it. But is it genuinely important to you? Because it's genuinely important to me. And it's not. It's you kind of you, you feel quite precious about it. And you shouldn't, because it's great that other people like it, other people are finding it, and, and et cetera, et cetera. But you do, it's hard to kind of not feel that protective kind of, you know, when there's literally people right now, you know, are looking forward to season three, and it's amazing, but it's like, all right, that's great, you're looking forward to it, but have you been watching it every year for the past, you know, near two decades? Mm. And it's like, it's not a competition thing, but you just, you do feel a little bit like, I can, I've been saying, you know, I was saying to you guys um, on WhatsApp the other day, I actually had somebody talking to me about it that I, I know was saying, you know, was telling me all their theories about it. And I was thinking, you, you, you're really fucking wrong. You've not even finished season two yet. Yeah. 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 No, I, it's, uh, well, no, quite. Even uh, I remember seeing you know, Mike Jamison, uh, and he was saying that he was he was um, 
in one of the scenes in um, the, the final episode of um, Twin Peaks season two, um, he was saying to David Lynch, "Oh, you know, is it? Am I doing this because of this and because of this?" And he's like, "Well, is that why you think you're doing it?" And he's like, "Yeah, I think it's because this, this, this." And he's like saying, "No, you are so wrong. That's not." He's like, "Well, why am I doing it? Because you're an actor. And I'm telling you to do it." <laughs> Yeah, and it, 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 it's kind of that. And he, and, and, and he said, "Right." So you said, "He said, yeah." And he's apparently his response was, "You're not Dale Cooper. You're a prop. No, just do what I say." Oh, that's a bit upsetting. Like... And it, the thing is, like I said, you know, everyone thinks like David as being this, you know, always oh, he funny with his transcendental meditation and said, But he can be quite, he can be quite stern when he wants to be. Yeah. He said. But then two minutes after we finished the scene, he's laughing and joking again with me. It's just he, he I wasn't getting, mm-hmm. I wasn't doing what he wanted me to do for his vision. Yeah. And he, he, he didn't want to say to me, it's not your vision, it's my vision, you don't need to understand it. He'd never do that. But he just was a bit of a dick to make a point. Yeah. Which, you know, all directors have to have that at level of arrogance to them. Otherwise, they won't be directed. Well, no, quite, yeah. It's, it's what they have to cultivate, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Oh, theory me. Um, I mean, Fire Walk with me, definitely not shit. Oh, definitely not shit. I, I mean, like we, we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, and I said it's, it's one of my favourite movies of all time. I think it's it's, it's incredible. It, it's the, the towards the end scenes where you've got... Um, Laura Cooper, you know, in the uh, red room with Dale Cooper, and she's just laughing. Uh, once you see him, once you understand him, it's it, it's hauntingly horrible, but happy at the same time. It's such a it, it's such a twisted kind of um, ending to the movie uh, that you know this this girl has gone through so much. And that's not, I don't, I don't, that's made enough of in Twin Peaks is at the end of the day this 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 is a girl a young girl who has been driven to drugs prostitution by you know her persistent sexual abuse and ultimately has been led to almost her you know her demise her murder which is almost her suicide in a way yeah. It's a it's it's a horrible story created in a quite a, a unique fun world, and that's the beauty of Twin Peaks. It's the it's it's what Lynch has explored for years in his movies. It's the the perfect idyllic um, small town, but then when you actually get amongst the fucking grass, so you peep behind the curtains, you start to realise that they're not quite as idyllic as they claim to be. Uh, well, yes, no, quite. And, and, and one, one last question: um, Do we know if is is Everett McGill still alive? Uh, I'm, I think he is. Yeah. yeah, is he is he in the new one? Yeah. Um, is um, fucking Peggy Lipton? Yeah, she is, isn't she? Yes. Oh she God, please let them be together. I, I don't need. I really, 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 really don't want Nadine to still be around. Uh, um, I, I 
don't know whether she's actually in it. Okay, that like seriously, man, that last scene of them where she gets the bump on the head and it's just like back to a horrible, horrible, horrible self. She is in it. Oh fuck. I just want I just want Big Ed and Norma to be happy. <laughs> I just want to genuinely I know it sounds stupid. I really want them to be happy. And it's it's oh. Yeah. It's 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 gonna be a hell of a an interesting few weeks. That, that that first ten minutes you'll know, I think, mm. whether or not it's gonna whether or not it's gonna be a a tough journey or a, a fun journey or not fun journey as such or a whether or not they've got the magic they've still got the magic or whether or not it's just not there anymore I think you'll know in the first 10 minutes and I think Lynch knows I think I would, I'm already convinced that they do because I don't think everyone would have gone back if the script wasn't perfect because mm. not one need to really no that's true Lynch doesn't need to that well, that's the thing. I mean, Lynch doesn't really need to. I mean, I think Dana Ashbrook is probably um, pretty pumped for the work, yeah. and I think James Marshall is probably thrilled. Um, but yeah, um, so we'll talk more next week. Um, oh, actually, what was the what was the result of the poll? The result of the poll was I shall tell you. It was quite unanimous to one side, if I remember last time I checked. Yes, definitely not shit. 93%. Nice. Touching cloth, 7%. There we go. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, so, let's talk about some what else we've been watching. Mark, you said you don't have too much, but what have you got, bud? Nothing. I'll be honest. Shit no. it off. All right. Okay. Well, um, okay, I'll be quick then. So, yeah, rewatch Lego Batman. Um, third time I've seen that fucking film now. Um... <laughs> At the cinema as well, all three times, yeah. 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 Um, so I went the first time by myself because I was like, I was really pumped to go see it. And um, Lottie was doing, like, Donna and Lottie were doing something else. I was like, I really want to go and see it. So I did. Second time I took Lottie. And then third time. She really likes the Lego Batman film. So it's cool. like, what, yeah, who am I to, who am I to say no? Um, so apart from the aspect ratio wonkiness, I, I wish that film was better. Um, you haven't seen it yet, have you? I've not seen it yet, no. It's just like... It plays... Like, it plays the idea of Batman, like, being a loner and not needing anyone, then realising he does need someone, but then he's like, no, I don't need them. Oh, I do need them. And then, oh, I don't need them. Oh, I do need them. And it just, it plays it out a bit too much. Um, I don't, I, yeah, but, um, it's, it's fun, uh, but it, it's, I don't know, it's not as good as I think it could have been. Um, so I rewatched The Green Hornet. All right. Uh, yeah, because it's on Netflix. Um, that film is such a fucking, again, an island of misfit toys there. Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, when they were like really, really hot, doing yeah. a comic book film. There's a comic movie that, 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 that contains the line, we're going to get balls deep in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and Christoph Waltz, whose primary character trait is that people don't find him scary, and he's trying to find ways to be scary. 
Uh, it, it, it's like he, he tries to change his clothes and he calls himself Bloodnovsky, not Chudnovsky. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just like scene after scene of him not being scary to someone. It's really weird. Um, it's such a fucking odd film. Michelle Gondry directed it for fuck's sake. Um, of course he did, yeah. And, and the thing is, I mean, like visually, like the Kato Vision stuff is brilliant. Um, and there's a scene as well where uh, the word is out that there's a hit on the Green Hornet, and like the screen like subdivides and subdivides is like more criminals are being told of like the hit out on the Green Hornet, and it's you know visually that's really interesting, but then it's also like Seth Rogen being Seth Rogen but rich, and I remember um, like at the time he was interviewed about like you know. You were the like the chubby stoner guy, and now you're in the Green Hornet. You know how did that happen? And him saying, "Well, you know, it's easy to get fit when you're rich." Yeah, he said, "Yeah, it's easy to get fit when you're rich because they give you a guy, and they give you like six weeks, and they say this is your guy. You've got to go meet him for six weeks, and then you say to that guy, and he says you're going to meet me at six, and then you say no, you won't. I'll meet you at ten, and he goes okay, and then he gives you these things to take and these drinks to have, and you take those things and you take these drinks, and you think great, I'm getting free fucking drugs, and then you, you lift some weights, and then that's it." Which, to be fair, kind of shows in the film, because throughout the film, the whole plot, Fred, is he's not nearly as good as Kato. And he gets yep. one scene at the end where he does, he punches a couple of people and kicks a couple of people, but it's still not nearly as much as Kato. And it almost feels like, were they just writing that in because his training didn't go as well as they wanted it to or something? Possibly. It's, yeah, like, it's, it's, it is an odd duck of a film. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it was before Marvel Studios really, really, really took off. And, I, yeah, I don't know. It kind of feels like it was either before its time or shouldn't have been made at all. Um, it shouldn't be made at all. The fact that it's never spoken about or never acknowledged anymore is, is, is key. And that's that. That's not me saying it wasn't good. I had a, I had a perfectly okay time with it, but I'll never watch it again. No, I mean, I, I actually, like, it's only the second time I watched it, like, but I, it's, it's, I, I thought it was fun, but mm. it just, yeah, it feels like a forgotten entry for absolutely everybody involved. Yeah, I think I actually, I think I actually reviewed that on Heroes with you guys. You might well have. You might well have. Um, yeah, it would have been around that time, wouldn't it? So, mm. yeah, uh, apologies for not remembering, but uh, it's, you know, it's the Green Hornet. Um, <laughs> and uh, last thing for me this week, um, Stakeland 2, the Stakeland. Stakelander. Which doesn't, that subtitle doesn't appear in the film. Does it not? The opening titles just say Stakeland 2. It's really weird. Um, so, yeah, the sequel to Stakeland. Um uh, Connor Paolo and, and Nick Dimitri from the original were back. Uh, Jim Mickle is an executive producer on this one, but R- Nick Dimitri did write it. So I believe the first one was him and Jim Mickle writing it. Uh, this time it's just Nick Dimitri. So uh, story is uh, the the lad from the first one. Um, I'm going to spoil something that's really old about five minutes in. Uh, so the end of Stateland, he like meets a girl and then Mister disappears. The character played by Nick Dimitri. Mm. In the opening credits, it's basically revealed that um, 
him and that girl had a daughter, and then the girl and the daughter are killed by um, vampires led by Mother, uh, who seems to be a... They call her a breeder vampire. It's like a different type of vampire who seems to be able to control other vampires with her thoughts or something. Um, and so the the lad basically decides he wants to get revenge and he's going to seek Mr. out. Um, and then the rest of it plays as a not as good stake land. Um, so like they pick up somebody along the way and they go to a settlement and um, they hole up there. There's less of a road movie aspect to it. Like the the, the whole yeah. thing with stake land was like the journey up north. This is this is a far more DTV kind of thing. And I believe it was like a sci-fi original film in the U S or something. Um, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's like, you could see that, but you know, the, the original kind of creative people are in, are involved and Mr. Is still an interesting character. Um, the lad, not so much. Um, and it's, I mean, it's entirely pointless. It feels like fan fiction, um, <laughs> to, to, to be honest. Um, but it's 84 minutes long. Um, you know, it's it's atmosphere of kind of dread with a little bit of hope, like the first one, is, is still there. There's nothing nearly as, like, visually interesting as that scene in the first one where they're in that settlement and then the vampires get, like like, dropped in. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Yes. And it's like the one-shot kind of thing. Um, you, you don't get that with this. It's, ob- it, you know, that Stakeland, I don't think, had much of a budget. This seems to have less of one. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but that's, that, you know, it, it's it's fine. It's a three out of five. It's not shit. Yeah, that's all right, then. You know, it's, that's worth watching, then. Yeah, yeah, it's not shit. It's worth 84 minutes. Uh, I, I don't think it's worth any more than that. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's all right. It's all right. I, I, I mean, God, I don't need a state land free, but for what it was, it was, you know, it was good. Yeah. I'll give that a go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, easy fucking watch. Uh, so, um, next week we are, so we're going to, we're going to do Colossal, aren't we? We are going to do Colossal because there's not actually anything really out, is there? No, I mean, so War Machine's out, so we could. Do those two and some Twin Peaks? Oh, absolutely, yeah. That, that, that would apply. You know, we, we usually, to be honest, we usually cover the Netflix movies because um, they're easy to watch. Because they're easy to watch, and you know, why the fuck not? Yeah, no, no, quite. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. There probably won't be too much. What else we watch next week or anything like that? If we've uh, got to do like four hours of Twin Peaks. Four, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Four episodes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, there you go. Uh, but it should be good. Uh, I, hope, I hope folks enjoy it. Um, so at Dude Foz, at Ian Loring, at Dude the Monkey. Ooh, we have. A, we do actually have a question. Fuck it off. Right, go on. Sorry, sir. Yes, go. Uh, Steve Dixon at the Great SD. Who gives your favourite comedic performance in a film? For me, it's John Candy in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Chris Farley in Toy Boy, and Chevy Chase in National Lampoon's Vacation. Fuck, man. Like, purely comedic? Yeah. I don't know. Will, um, Will Ferrell and Anchorman, to be honest. That's a good shout, that. Um, I'd say Chevy Chase in Christmas, Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation's uh, a very good shout. Yeah. Um, personally, uh, Rob Cordry in The Hot Time Machine has to be up there for me. Mm. 
Okay. Uh, as, as a personal one, uh, I, I still laugh pretty much every time I watch that movie, as it's been very well documented on this podcast. Mm. Um, what's his name? Ah, oh, fuck. Ray, uh, what's his name from the Burbs? Oh, fuck it. Dudikov. Do the something. Uh, do come on. Do come on. Yeah, Rick Dukeman. Uh, he plays art in um, in the Burbs. Fantastic performance. Mm. Absolutely. Um, okay. So that's it. This is the end. Yeah. Well. Well. Of uh, 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 this week's show. So we we shall return uh, next week. Um, and yeah. I think that's it. Am I missing it? I feel like I'm missing something. Uh, com at dunamonkey at dunefoz at eloring. Uh, feel free to email us, iTunes reviews, or anything like that. Send us questions. Whatever you feel like, you don't have to wait until we ask. Um, you know, they're always quite fun to answer, and it's quite amusing some of the questions we get asked. Um, so I don't think there's anything else. No, I think it's been, I think it's probably because we've spoken more TV than film that it feels a little bit strange. Uh, yes, it is strange, but it's also Lynch. So It is Lynch, and it is, it, it's not TV, it's a television event. <laughs> Yes, fucking. Oh, it's exciting. I'm up. It is. I'm. I'm. I'm pretty tempted to uh, to get up at like six tomorrow morning and watch the first couple before work. And the thing is, I know I can't. Um, for the simple fact that uh, I start work tomorrow at half past eight and I don't finish till eight o'clock at night, so I still get away with doing that. That is brutal. Uh, yeah, I've, I've got a seven day week next week. In fact, as it stands, I don't know when my next day off is for like the next two weeks. Mm. <laughs> I've tried to get it in there somewhere. Um, so, yeah. So, it's, there's a possibility that I could end up... I know I'm in work 12 hours tomorrow and 12 hours Tuesday. Fucking so, yeah. I'll try and keep my shit to myself for the next couple of days then, maybe. I'll be watching... In theory, I'm watching the first two episodes on Monday night and the second two episodes Tuesday night. But if those first episodes are incredible, I can see it just being, ah, fuck it, I'll be tired. I, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I watched five episodes on Thursday, so four tomorrow is not going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's quite easy to do, isn't it? Fucking right. Um, okay, that is it. Thank you very much, folks, and uh, how's Annie?